The following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your eardrums one podcast at a time. To listen to more great geek audio podcasts, check out the R.E.D. Podcast Network at redpodcastnetwork.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Welcome back to the 11pm Somewhere Podcast. My name is Zine, and we are back for episode 5 of the show. So what we're going to talk about this week is um, a sort of a growing light, I would say, from the craft beer community, real beer community in Ireland, uh, turned up last week on mainstream radio. Uh, none other than Mr. James Winans of the Vanguard uh, Beer Collective, who turned up on the right hook on Monday um, to talk about like what they are actually doing. He was on the kickstarting business segment on the Right Hook show. And, you know, that kind of followed on then from a later on in the week where James then, I think it was on Friday, turned up in an article in the Irish Times uh, where they were, James was talking about what he was actually looking to do with the Vanguard Beer Collective and so on and so forth. But there was a particular line in the uh, article that actually kind of had me laughing in one respect, and it wasn't even anything to do with what James had said, because what James had said was like pretty much on the money, and what they were talking about. But it was something that the actual writer of the article, uh, who was Mark Paul, and actually said, and he goes, the draft beer distribution duopoly of Diageo and Heineken won't be shivering in their boots just yet, but let's raise a glass to some competition, no matter how small. And, you know... It's kind of funny that they use the phrase won't be shivering in their boots just yet. The simple fact of the matter is, like, let's cut to shit here right straight up out the bat. Heineken, Diageo, Molson Coors, and a whole heap of these sort of big, uh, suited up, faceless corporations uh, flogging their piss water, they are actually starting to quake in their boots. They are worried about real beer growth in, our, in, in Ireland and in Europe, and they are worried about craft beer and where it's actually going. And nothing surer sort of says that they're worried about this than their capture of uh, craft beer breweries or setting up stealth breweries or um, or buying into uh, sort of craft beer uh, companies slash real beer companies as they're getting off the ground. A great example of that is Franciscan Well, be known by Molson Coors, uh, C&C, uh, being a large stakeholder in the Five Lamps Brewery as well. And they're just two sort of examples that come to mind very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, this is... Ireland is, is is one of those hot pots where right now, craft beer in Ireland, in terms of like the sales of beer, is less than 1%. They're just about 1% of the total... Uh, beer sales in the country. Now that mightn't seem like an awful lot, but let's just put this into perspective. In the US, who've had this sort of craft beer slash real beer revolution sort of running wild like Hulkamania uh, for the last 20-25 years uh, over their side of the water, they have 6%. Now 6% mightn't seem an awful lot either, but 6% I can assure you is a heck of a lot over there. And in terms of percentages, Ireland will get there. Like, be under uh, no illusion. Um, it will get there. And if it takes, like, one converting one craft beer slash real beer virgin at a time to do so, it will happen. It most definitely will happen. And, you know, I firmly believe that we are in a fantastic position 
to actually do this. I mean, look at last year. We had our first ever craft beer week in Ireland last year. Uh, or sorry, in uh, 2012. They had 5,000 people actually attend that. Like, that is phenomenal when you think about it. Back in 2012, 5,000 people attended. Last year, I can't remember what the uh, the attendance was. But again, I do believe it was up on what it was. And, you know, it just shows that it is growing like one step at a time. In 2012, for example, like craft beer sales in Ireland like were up 40% by the year end. Like that's how much of a difference there was. And then last year they were up 35% again and that's continuing to grow. And if you look at, say, for example, again, I always like to use BrewDog as an example because I do think they are a very good example especially on this side of the water where we don't have the same size and scale as the guys in the US. Uh, if you look at their growth for the last number of years, they've just kept growing and growing and growing and their products are growing. I mean, yes, their biggest market is Sweden and it isn't uh, like Ireland and the UK are still not their biggest markets. That's where they have an absolutely phenomenally sized market. And that is just huge. I mean... There was an article sort of that was put out recently uh, where it said that the, the craft beer in the US, the sales have doubled in the past six years and are set to triple by 2017. And they showed it like sort of in the, in the craft beer market, for example, uh, between sorry, 2007, 2012, it went from like $5.7 billion to like $12 billion by 2012, which is absolutely huge. And they reckon it's going to hit about 18 billion by about 2017, which is an awful lot of money. And I know, like, again, the US are like much further down the line in terms of their real beer revolution than we are, but it sort of gives you a flavor of where these things are actually going to go. And you know what? During the week, I actually had uh, sort of uh, James sort of reach out to me, and like James is right, there is a bit of a crossover as to what like he's looking to achieve, and like what I want actually out of this podcast. And in one respect, what I the podcast its fundamental thing to me is to be sort of like an act of discovery of what we have to offer for the craft beer industry in this country and, and like and to help be part of a, pushing a craft beer revolution pushing the knowledge out there giving letting the voices of these brewers who were like busting their ass to make some kick ass beers be heard and and to get them familiar beyond the sort of the circle that exists for like craft beer get them known sort of um globally on like because podcasts are global I'll give a great example of this. There is a growing podcast out of the UK for rugby, for example, called the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast. It's one I am a fairly big fan of. And that podcast covers mostly uh, English rugby clubs, but it also covers off the Heineken Cup um, uh, sort of games that happen, like no matter who's playing, whether it's Irish teams, Welsh teams, uh, British teams, French teams, Italian teams, and so on. That podcast has got a huge following in Ireland. And despite the fact that its reference to Irish rugby is quite slim, but people want to listen to it because we don't have any podcasts in this country really that sort of a, sort of get into the nitty gritty of what's going on there. And when you look in terms of like podcasts for beer in this country, we are like anorexically thin on the ground. For that, even video content online, we are anorexically thin on the ground for that as well. And sort of this is sort of me throwing my. Uh, expertise. My expertise isn't in craft beer. Make no fucking mistake about that. My expertise is in 
I love putting stuff up on the internet. I've been a publisher on the internet for coming up to 14, 15 years now. Whether it's uh, music, whether it's uh, business-related stuff, technology, uh, science fiction, comics. I mean, you name it. I've written about it, posted about it, blogged about it. And I do podcasts here and there everywhere about every goddamn thing at this point. And it's me sort of allowing my voice to help bring and shine a light on what the fuck we're doing in this small island of ours regarding craft beers. And, you know, even at 1%, even if that is the case that it's 1%, I do believe that these big boys are going to be shaking in their fucking boots in a couple of years' time. People are not willing to go out and spend money in a big way on sort of regular piss water. And they really, really aren't. Like, let's face it, if you think about even your... Any, of you, any people that you work with or friends or everything else, if you look at the amount of times that maybe they go out uh, to go and drink beer compared to back in the day, they'll sooner sort of go to the off-license and buy beer. And yet, you have sort of um, like people like Galway Bay who run sort of Against the Grain, uh, Brewdock, Black Sheep, and I think there's another one I, I heard a rumour of that they were opening up as well. And they're putting in craft beers and anytime i've been in any of these places there is a lot of bodies in them and i mean a lot of bodies in them look at the excitement around all tech that's coming up next month as well again i know loads of people who are uh sort of new to the whole craft beer thing as well and they're getting excited to go that and they're bringing other people with them as well and it just seems to be this thing of sort of when Pete, when you get some sort of craft beer virgins converted over, they start bringing others along with them as well, converting them, and it's a it it's it's a very um it's a very organic process in one respect, but it's one which I think is important. It's valuable, and you know what? It, as long as like we can start seeing more and more people moving towards great beers. I mean, uh, the, again. Life's too short to drink, drink crap beer. I most definitely subscribe to that, and I fully believe in that. I also believe in sort of a... There's a part of me who believes in sort of open-source beer, or beer open-source, where, like, the transparency about what the fuck is actually going into your glass of of beer, what's in there, and the and the love and care that's in behind it. And, and again, the care about making sure that the best product possible... It reaches you whether it's you crack open a bottle or whether you go to a pub and they sort of pour an amazing beer in front of you and the quality of it always being good again sometimes consistency is an issue with sort of craft beer slash real beer but you know what it's one of those sort of uh i'd say it's along the lines of like where you don't get fucking european standardized straight bananas you get bananas and you get ugly fruit that are of every shape and size um but there's nothing wrong with them fundamentally in terms of them being good. Nothing wrong with the taste. And in fact, there's sort of nothing really wasted in that respect. And it has a very organic feel to it. Uh, and again, it's exciting that when you get a glass of beer and you're like, you don't know what to expect from it. And you can, um, it, it gives you, makes you have an opinion as opposed to being something which is background and bland that you put into your mouth that doesn't evoke any fucking feelings whatsoever. Um... And, I, and that's the one thing that I think craft beer does very, very well. Again, like our, our our growth in sort of in artisan food in this country and our growing acceptance of that. And again, anyone who has actually 
doesn't believe that there is a revolution for food and drink in this country towards artisanal foods and towards great quality foods, great great quality beers and everything else, I would suggest if you're in Dublin, take your backside over to Avoca and Rathcool on any given day around lunchtime and try tell me that there is not a love and a growth for these kind of foods and this sort of qual this pursuit of quality and and people not sort of being not pushing for quantity in, in, or to sort of the Walmart effect, as I like to call it, but are happy to go for quality because they know when they get something, it will be amazing. Look at the rise of like uh, Pat Whelan Butchers, for example, an amazing butcher shop to go to. A guy who he and his staff and his business, they give a shit about what people get to put on their plate. Hugely helpful. Again, sort of really evoking back my sort of memories from me in the 80s of being a kid and going to a local butcher shop in Leakslip, a small little ass town, you know, uh, often touted as, you know, the original home of Guinness. Uh, you know, that it's people who cared about what, what, you, what you were given and what you were serving as food, where it came from, telling you the origins. And it's something which is sort of very, very dear to me. And it's one thing, one of the reasons why I've... I'm I'm such an absolute fucking mark in one respect for the what uh uh James Watt and Martin Dickey and their team do over there in Scotland is because they're not afraid to go and share the information. They want to share as much information about their beers as possible. They want to share things like what hops are we using, what um malts are we using, what yeasts are we using. I mean they'll even go down as far as in some cases of telling you what way they minute their hops for fuck's sake. Again, I think that's a, a, a huge step in the right direction, and it's a, it's good. And, you know, try getting someone from Budweiser to tell you exactly what the fuck goes in their beer. Good luck with that. Never going to happen, and it's not going to happen. And I think as sort of craft beers grow in Ireland, and some of those craft beer breweries, like maybe the guys like 8 Degrees, maybe the guys, uh, people at Metal Man, um, maybe Trouble, maybe some of these others that are out there, maybe they get to the point where they actually get to grow beyond being sort of craft beer producers to becoming just like known as real beer producers, where they're actually at that size where they stop being craft and then uh, James is uh, is run off his feet trying to find, dis- to be able to hire staff, to be able to get their beers distributed around the country. And, you know, that's a really good problem to have in one respect, and I'd love to see sort of Irish craft beer producers as they're growing to go on to become like real beer producers again you you think about people like Samuel Adams you think like the Anchor Brewing Company in the US you even think like Dogfish Head in the US um, or you think of Stone over in the the US or any of these other guys and you don't you you can kind of say craft beer but then you realise hey you guys aren't really on craft beer at the size and scale that you're working and operating at you're actually at the real beer side of things and you actually are like a real beer producers as well Um, and you know that's that's just because you might think of like people, oh well, they've now they're they've gotten too big for themselves. No, they're still these guys are still putting out amazing beers. They're still doing incredibly inventive things, um, and even in Europe, when you've got guys like McKellar again, just like doing some of possibly some of the most dynamic and incredible beers right now in Europe, and just being like sort of a real leading light out there, and being one of the real rock stars of the of the craft beer scene in Europe. Again, these are all things that push what we love about beer going forward. I remember back in the 80s when my mum and dad set up their um, 
their uh, sort of beer making company and wine making company, their homebrew company. It was in leaks of a company called Brewers Delight. And I remember even at that stage, like when they set up the business and they started off and they were selling all these, uh, all the beer kits, loads of different types of yeast, and they were selling things like kegs, buckets, hydrometers, uh, really long spoons, and they were selling like uh, bottling kits. Um, bottle capping ki uh, kits as well to be able to do things and and selling gas cylinders and everything possible and like dried hops and everything you can fucking think of that you might want to put into a beer or to do make your own wine or make your or make your own beer. And when they started the business off, it was and again that was in the early eighties. Um, it was something that took off quite well, but then over time they were finding that they weren't biz trade in that business was actually. Uh, down and then it came to the came to a point where even after diversifying into sort of health foods and everything else when uh this before Kelkin actually started to explode and become the behemoth that they actually are now in the health food space um you know it came to a point where they had to go and shut their shop and my dad had to go and find something else to do and that was in again towards the the late part of the 80s maybe and now we're at the point where if you're trying to find information about uh, or or stuff or kits for to do homebrew, I mean, Jesus Christ, you can go into Tesco and you can buy homebrew kits now. Um, there is a huge explosion of like sort of mail order homebrew kits as well. And I think that the Internet is a huge part in that as well. Uh, being able to break down sort of commercial barriers and trade barriers, being able to buy things online, being able to buy, like even in Ireland now, you can actually, there are off licenses around the country where you can actually go and order craft beer and have it delivered to you. And even beers that you're like, you know you can't find locally. I mean, I've taken advantage of this like a number of times now where I've ordered uh, craft beers from people and had it delivered to me. And I think it's utterly incredible. I think it's it's a really good step forward. And I think we're going to get to the point where you go into a bar or you go into a restaurant and their craft beer list doesn't contain bullshit like Desperado's beer. Uh, it doesn't contain bullshit like Tiger beer being listed as a fucking craft beer or Qingdao or any of these other foreign beers. And that's, that is sort of one of my pet peeves at the moment and I'm sure it gets to the, on the goat of a lot of other people as well who love their craft beers and they go into places and they sit down, they've gone to this place, and the food is amazing, and great care taken in choosing the ingredients to go in the menu, a really concise menu, and to do some really beautiful uh, tasting artisanal food, but without being too fucking airy-fairy, fancy-schmancy. And they look at the craft beer list, and like top of the, of the craft beer list are things like Tiger Beer, Cobra, Qingdao, Anything as long if it's a foreign beer, it's been listed as a craft beer. And like there, I before um, Christmas, just before I went to our, one of our Christmas parties, myself and Frank, uh, we were uh, looking at we were going to um, Dylan McGrath's uh, Fade Street, and we looked at the craft beer list, and we were going down through, it and we were like, nope, not a craft beer, nope, not a craft beer, nope, not a craft beer, and then like we maybe found like two or three beers that could actually be called craft beers slash real beers. Uh, and in the end, we had to settle for fucking uh, Sierra Nevada Torpedo Extra IPA. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great beer, uh, and it goes well with, with most foods. Um, and again, seriously hoppy, because um, myself and, and Frank, we are like major hop heads. The more hops, the better, as we always say. Um, make mine a hoppy one. Uh, but sort of coming back to this thing of like being sort of at 1% and then getting to 6% and... 
and and the sort of the thing of like well if it's a minor thing then it can't be that good but you know this is a path that it starts on and these are this is how these things start i mean let's take for example 20 years ago would you have seen as many different types of like food would you've seen brazilian food restaurants opening up in ireland no you wouldn't um would you see things like cuban food restaurants opening up no you wouldn't would you see um like persian food restaurants open up no in fact the most persian thing you may or may not have found about 20 years ago if you were lucky was a kebab house um that also did fish and chips hamburgers and all the rest of the good stuff i mean chinese food at that stage in the 80s uh was quite limited about where you could find it and now we've got such a wealth of all these different sort of global foods in ireland in terms of its taste and and the types of foods that it likes. I mean, pasta came out of nowhere over 50 years in Ireland and it's now become like, it's actually more widely eaten than potatoes, which is considered an Irish staple. And rice is even consumed more than than, than uh, potatoes are as well. We've come a long way in 20 years with our foods. And I mean, in 20 years with our beers and with our alcohol, I can see us become, like definitely going the same way. And if, if, in fact, I would say if anything, the growth in that will be stronger and the reason being is the knowledge and the information that's out there about the different types of beers you know 20 years ago there wasn't really um an internet to speak of or even 30 years ago when i was a sort of a kid growing up there wasn't an internet to speak of you couldn't just if your there was your library there was newspapers and television uh and foreign newspapers and that was it and now we've got the internet where people have access to a wealth of information. There's a lot of stuff that they can purchase online. Now we've got sort of this big, huge sort of uh, economic market across Europe and across the world where if you f- there's something that you really want, you can pretty much order it online and get it, get it shipped in as long as you're willing to bear the costs of it and bring these things in. And I think these are all sort of helping towards, and especially as Irish people are becoming a little bit more willing to go abroad to other places, try foods abroad. I mean, there's always that joke about, like, uh, what was it, from the uh, sort of 90s, that when the English went abroad, as long as they could find pie and chips they were f- and, and, and warm beer, they were sorted. And I sort of think there was an element of that too to Irish people going abroad at one point. Uh, but now we've become sort of a little bit more... I hate using this word, but it's so fucking apt. Uh, cosmopolitan in their tastes, and sort of and willingness to go and try things, um, and and to move outside our comfort zone, sort of taste-wise, especially with sort of things like bitters and and sours, uh, and to move beyond sort of the regular stuff that we see or we know we can get at home. That it this is something which I don't think it's going to take twenty years for the for sort of the craft beer, real beer revolution to get to the same kind of point in the US. In fact, if, if it doesn't get there sort of within the next five years, I'd be highly surprised. And you know what, I think as you're looking at more and more sort of macro brewers and micro brewers coming on stream in Ireland, I mean, sort of a recent one there is the uh, guys and gals over at N17 and what they're doing, and they're going to be sort of showcasing their first beer like a like in a, in a wider scale at Alltech uh, next month, which is going to be phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've actually produced. Uh, and then sort of in my own backyard here, I've got like uh, the Rye River Brewing Company, which is actually set up by someone uh, whose family I actually know particularly well. Um, and that's a sort of a family business which is being set up where they're incorporating their... They have an already, the family already have an existing... 
sort of restaurant in the town where I live, Kilcock, and they turn out some amazing food. Um, this family sort of has a like a real long traditional background in the in the food industry, working in hotels and restaurants and everything else. And they're merging sort of their restaurant and this new this uh, brewery that's being built here. Um, into something which is hopefully is going to sort of be a bit of a boost for the town itself because Kilcock is pretty dead. Uh, after we the sweets factory was closed, the bakery in the town was closed, which provided an awful lot of jobs. Uh, used to be a sort of an agricultural centre and it kind of died as well. And you know, hopefully it brings something to the environment. And you know what, I'm actually think I'm going to be sitting down over the course of the next week with. Um, with the guys from uh, the River Brewing Company, which of course own the McGargles brand. And I'm also, so that's one thing which is definitely on the cards. And I'm going to also try and sit down during the week if I can and see if I can uh, get a sort of a, a double interview out of out of next week's show uh, by seeing uh, James Winans from Vanguard Beer Collective. Hopefully uh, my schedule and his schedule cross over rather nicely. James, I've already sort of reached out to you. Uh, on the Twitters and James has reached out back so hopefully that happens as well and it'll just be something which I'm really looking forward to doing as I sort of start being able to sort of bring some of these interviews on stream and then hopefully I can get hooked up with the guys from Brew as well they've sort of reached out to the podcast as well be able to bring that in a trouble I think we're going to be interviewing the guys sometimes in March hopefully um, they've got like a really busy schedule next month so it kind of ruled that one out but the podcast is going to keep growing we're going to have more people on it I'm also going to have like a couple of the guys from Bior on because I think that's important to get them on and I think uh, uh, the first person from there I'm getting on is going to be Wayne, who's their uh, Midlands rep. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to putting him in the show. For those who don't know Wayne, this guy has a fucking incredible wealth of knowledge about beer. And he's like, uh, I, like I met him very briefly before when the guy like very kindly hooked me up with a Brewdog glass um, from uh, one of the Brewdog pubs in Manchester. I put a shout out on Twitter before Christmas saying I was looking for one of these pint glasses and he hooked up one for me and my buddy Frank and I met him and we talked for about 20 minutes and just stunned by the amount of knowledge that this guy has and you know what, he's such a personable guy as well, really is and you know I'm really looking forward to bringing him on the podcast for people who don't know him and to get to know this guy and to then get familiar with his blog and what he does and follow him on Untapped and, and give him a cheers for everything that he drinks because uh Again, that's always fun to do. And remember, you can find me also on Untapped. Just look up the Ian Feller or Ian Bergen and you'll find me on it. And you know what? Yep, that is definitely the sound for last orders. And once again, I want to thank everyone who's been checking out the podcast. The guys who are the brewers have reached out to the podcast. Some of the great feedback that I've been getting from people as well. Uh, again, hugely appreciated. You can follow the show on Twitter at 11pm somewhere. You can also find the website 11pmsomewhere.tumblr.com and you can find the show on iTunes Radio. So until next time, may all your beers be hoppy and bitter as fuck. <laughs>